Hello, and thank you once again for tuning into ReptileApartment.com's The Reptile Living Room. I'm your host, as always, John F. Taylor. And this week, we are brought to you once again by Comic Karma, your comic book journey destination. Give them a tumble, uh, ComicKarma.com. Got a lot of great reviews. Uh, Mike's been posting all over the place. Uh, Bleeding Cool, uh, spoilers, just all kinds of way awesomeness going on with the comic book industry that you should be checking out. And uh, this week's interview is with Marsha McGinnis of Golden Gate Geckos. You can find her at GoldenGateGeckos.com. She is also known as the Mogul, but you will hear more about that in the interview. It's a very uh, funny story. And Marsha shares with us how she got into breeding leopard geckos. Um, she's breeding a lot of the Australian geckos as well as some African fat tails. Um, talks a little bit about the politics in the industry, uh, what it takes to be successful in the industry, as well as gives us some tips and tricks on keeping the gecko, fan, uh, gecko species that she breeds. And talks to us about doing shows, what that's like. And uh, just a really awesome interview with a lot of information in it. So we hope you enjoy it. And uh, once again, feel free to drop by the blog at reptileapartment.com. Leave us some comments. Tell us what you think. And we hope to see you at the shows. And uh, we're on a mission to send Marsha to Madagascar so she can actually go out and see some of these really cool gecko species. So get out there. Go to her website, goldengategeckos.com. Buy some of the awesome, awesome geckos that she has for sale. Um, and look for her at the shows. Uh, she's got some shows coming up uh, that she's thinking about doing. So stop by stop by the booth. Say hi to her. She's a really, really awesome lady to speak with. Very, extremely knowledgeable about the gecko species overall. Not afraid to sit down with you and share all kinds of information. She's very, very open. So once again... Uh, check her out, Marsha McGinnis, GoldenGateGeckos.com. And uh, let's hear what she has to say. Thanks for tuning in. So today we're on the phone with uh, Marsha McGinnis from Golden Gate Geckos, uh, also known as The Mogul, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> because that's still hilarious. I, I still love that. But anyway, <laughs> so as far as um, how did you get into reptiles, Marsha? I mean, I guess that would be well, the best place to was, start. <laughs> Yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, well, of course, I've always been fascinated with all kinds of critters ever since I was a kid. I mean, I was always bringing home horned lizards because we lived down in Southern California. And um, my dad was in the Marine Corps, so uh, we oh, lived okay. down down near, uh, um, you know, uh, Camp Pendleton area. Right. And we lived in uh, out in the, in the desert at 29 Palms. And mm -hmm. we had a desert tortoise named Homer and, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. I was kind of a tomboy. Of course, that's what they called us back in those days when there was girls that liked frogs right. and uh, lizards and stuff like that. So I've always had a fascination with them. And um, back in the early 90s, um, I worked with a guy who had quite a vast collection of, uh, of herbs. Okay. And um, I was fascinated with it. I mean, um, I've always known people that had had, you know, a couple snakes or some lizards or, or whatever, but um, he had... I mean, he had savannah monitors, he had bearded dragons, he had everything, and wow. I, and I, I was just started to talking to him one time at break and at work, and and um, I said, you know, that's just really fascinating. What 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 would make you want and to have a reptile as a pet? Because I always enjoyed him. Right. And we got to talking, and and um, he, I said, you know, I've been thinking about getting a gecko. Um, not sure what I'm looking for, and. He says, well, there's a reptile show coming up at the Cow Palace out here in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, in a few weeks, if you'd like to go with me, uh, let's go. And so we went. And, of course, this was before the Internet, really. Um, right. So there wasn't a whole lot of stuff we could do to research or anything other than, you know, pet stores or talking to other people who kept reptiles. Right. So we went to the, um, went to the show. Um, and I bought a couple leopard gecko babies. Okay. And the rest is history. Uh, a couple years later, uh, they, they turned out to be two females. And, um, of course, I did everything wrong. <laughs> you know, when I was first, you know, keeping them, it's a good thing they're hardy little creatures. And then, yeah, no um, And then I, I, I got a male, um, and... 
1995, I produced my first clutches of leopard gecko eggs. Okay. First half of the season, everything failed. Every single egg failed. I was so despondent. I was dis- discouraged. And I finally just ignored them. And then out of the blue, I just happened to check on them, and there were two little babies in there. Uh. <laughs> so, kind of like, um, I was hooked. I sat in the middle of the floor like a, and bawled like a baby. It was just oh, yeah. funny. Yeah, I was just, oh my gosh. So that's when I started learning that, you know, like some people with houseplants, right. you know, they think if a little bit of water's good, uh-huh. a lot's better. Right. Or whatever, and then they have black thumbs. They can't. Right. <laughs> well, I think I was, you know, opening and closing this little, you know, styrofoam thing too often. The temperatures were all over the place, and I was keeping the substrate too wet. And once I just gave up. Right. And it let really the temperature happened. stabilize and quit putting water in there. <laughs> Voila! And then we had babies. And uh, so I was, uh, I was hooked. At, at that point, and then a few years later, um, I met, um, I was starting to go to some of the reptile shows again, and mm-hmm. um, I met Julie from, uh, Julie Bergman from um, uh, Gecko Ranch. Oh, yes, Julie Bergman. And she and I just became fast and close friends, and she actually um, was the one that helped me, uh, this is actually, I'm backtracking a little bit, she actually helped me, she, she taught me how to sex geckos. <laughs> okay. This is a boy, what a boy looks like, and this right. is what a girl looks like. And I was like, oh, I got two girls. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so she'd been at it for a few years, and um, and she was a men- one of the one of a mentor for me, and right. um, we've been friends ever since. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, um, talking about the leopard geckos and stuff like that, because we had talked, we talked to at least once about... Um, leopard geckos and their care and um, we had a pretty in-depth conversation at the show what are some of the best practices that you would tell someone about keeping this species specifically uh, regarding leopard geckos what are regarding leopard geckos specifically okay um well first of all they they really need belly heat right um i think there's a lot of mis mis uh, information out there especially when people buy um leopard geckos from um pet stores or especially the big box mm-hmm. uh, pet stores that you know they their care sheet i think is one size fits all right um yeah. they do need the belly heat because in the wild um they don't bask in the sun like you know obviously like a lot of other reptiles do to assimilate vitamin d and right. um they they um in their in their habitat they you know it's very hot Mm-hmm. And they live in a ro- in rocky uh, sandstone and granite areas, and um, so when they come out, when the sun starts cooling off and coming going down, when the bugs come out, they rely on the heat that's been absorbed in the rocks, right, uh, for their tummies, and that aids their digestion, it controls their metabolism, and their immune system. Mm-hmm. So I think. Um, you know, ambient room, ambient temperature, like with overhead heat, is is not appro- is appropriate for a lot of other geckos mm-hmm. or other reptiles, I should say, but not for leopard geckos. So belly heat. Okay. Um, and the second thing is that um, since we aren't really providing them with their with their natural food supply, right. um, where they come from, there aren't any crickets or mealworms and things like that. They they eat uh, spiders and scorpions and right uh, uh, locusts mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, it's important to um, you know uh, provide them with the proper uh, supplement you know supplementation, which means uh, calcium and, and uh, a vitamin supplement from time to time. Right. Although it is very difficult. Uh, I mean, for a leopard gecko to develop. Um, metabolic bone disease is um it 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 requires a lot of neglect yeah so um you know other than that i think that their their care is pretty straightforward they don't require any lighting they live a long time they're clean and and usually select one spot of their environment or their habitat for a Mm -hmm. defecatorium 
Right. Um, you know, if they've got fresh water and and they're properly heated, which is around 90 to 92 degrees, belly heat in one spot on, the, on their uh, habitat, mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't see that there's any real problem um, other than th- those things that I mentioned. Right, right. Okay. Now, um, talking about just geckos in general, because um, I know you, you've uh, worked with a lot of different breeds of geckos. And you, yes, you I got, work with uh, seven species of geckos. Yeah, right. there you go. <laughs> I knew it was a lot. I just wasn't sure what the number was. Yeah. What advice would you give to a new breeder that might be interested in getting into geckos? You know, because they come to the show, they see the leopard gecko morphs, they see all these Australian geckos, and they're just like, wow, this is something I really want to do. Yeah. What would be your, if you could only say, you know, a paragraph to them, what would you tell them? Well, first of all, um, do your research. There you go. Um, the, the, the Aussie species, uh, without, with the exception of a few, um, are, not, are, are not what I would consider beginner geckos. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a little, their care is a little more sophisticated. Um, but do your, do your research and don't make any, any impulse decisions. Um, talk to breeders. Get on the internet. There's a, a plethora of information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, before anybody gets into any kind of a breeding project, I really think that they should keep the geckos for at least a year mm-hmm. and understand their needs and their behaviors and everything else like that before even considering um, subjecting them to breeding. Right. Okay. That makes complete <laughs> total sense to me. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as looking at the whole industry as a whole, um, what do you see for the future as far as, you know, with all the regulations and stuff that might be coming down mm-hmm. the pipe, may not be, you know, as a breeder yourself, where do you see us ending up here in the next, you know, Well, few it's years? scary. Um, it's scary um, without getting on a political rant. Oh, sure. um, I think that, that most, of, most of what's going on um, <laughs> is based on ignorance, and mm-hmm. it, ignorance means doesn't mean they're idiots. It just means that they're uneducated. Not and not right. Exactly, exactly. Is based on ignorance. And, and also it's natural for people to be afraid of things that they don't understand. Right. And the best way to get over a fear of something is to understand it, and, and that's to, you know, to keep your mind open. Um, and I, I don't see that happening um, or, or actually what I'm seeing is more of a resistance because reptiles are becoming uh, a real mainstream um, pet, if you will. Yeah, I just saw a report actually yesterday that exotic animals, quote-unquote reptiles, are becoming more and more popular. I was like, oh, yeah. wow, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I remember, you know, just 15, you know, 16 years ago, people who had them were considered a little bit um, off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I, I don't resemble know. that it, remark. <laughs> well, yeah, me too, and, and of course, but, but, but no, I think reptiles are becoming very, very mainstream, and the fear of reptiles is not something that we're born with. It's a learned behavior. That's and, actually something I want to ask. Uh, can we talk about that, actually? Why do you think people actually fear reptiles? I've been throwing around ideas on pads of paper for like almost a year now trying to write an article about mm-hmm. the fear of reptiles so now you say it's not an innate behavior no it's actually a learned behavior no i have uh four grandchildren okay and all of them are and, and nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews uh-huh. and, and none of these children are afraid of my snakes or my geckos or anything they're fascinated with them so the carpet pythons none of them they're, no they're totally okay with it no, I just had my, uh, you know, three-year-old uh, great-niece here last weekend, and she was holding one of my carpet pythons, and, of course, I was helping her hold oh, it, sure. you know. No, I think children are fascinated with creatures. They're not huh. afraid of, they're not born afraid of spiders and snakes and things like that. But I think that some of the, some of the um, fear that we develop mm-hmm. um over from our childhood is is twofold. First of all, we never hear really anything good about reptiles unless it's a rattlesnake that bites somebody. Mm. <laughs> okay, and True. so it, it's it's a it's a an innate fear that our parents and schools and and everybody has to protect our children, to protect their children, and you know um, 
um, so there there becomes a fear of, of reptiles at that at that okay. point, and all snakes, you know, are venomous, or all snakes are dangerous, and right. and the second part, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, is no. I'm not sure if too many of the listeners know that um, I'm an ordained minister, and um, looking at our biblical uh, Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. views, when we when we look at uh, Genesis and the creation. Um, Satan was was presented as yes. a beautiful serpent to right. tempt Adam and Eve. Right. And so, therefore, it's it's we have a a you know a subliminal message telling mm-hmm. us that you know that serpents are the, the you know are evil. Quintessential evil. Right. It, absolutely. Right. 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 So I'm going to be very frank about that. I'm, I just you know me. I just. Oh no, that's. I just I tell it. <laughs> Marcia, that's why I love talking to you because you just. You know, you just, it, it is what it is. You, it know, is. you have no yeah. qualms about it. It's just, this is who you are, and this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's yeah. what I think. And, and okay. um, you know, I've gone out to many schools and, and stuff and brought my geckos and, 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 and started out uh, very young with these kids, and we've, you know, done, done um, brainstorming up on the dry eraser, the right. blackboard, and say, why do you think people are afraid of snakes? Or why do you oh, yeah. think people are afraid of reptiles? And I just throw stuff up there, you know. Right. I mean, they're slimy. They're ugly. They're 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 poisonous. They'll bite you. They're dangerous. They're right. you know all of these things. Right. Right. And then what I do is is go through and dispel all those myths. All those myths. Right. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then when I bring out the geckos, I say, now come on, is this this is a reptile? Is it ugly? Yeah. No. Yeah, especially some of your geckos. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. But but then when I when I give them, you know, facts like, you know, um, you know, more people are injured by dogs and right. horses, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, which we consider to be domestic everyday animals, you know, right. in our lives. Um, you know, compared to, you know, injuries or or, or problems with, you know, reptiles. Mhm. Um mm-hmm. You know, and when I talk about percentages of how many reptiles are actually venomous compared to those that aren't. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, I think that if we can start young enough, um, you know, that, that we, can, we can present these animals in a factual and realistic fashion. Right, so it's all so about So that the, the future of the herp, getting to your original question... Uh, get, so the future of the herp um, community or the interest in, in uh, reptiles and amphibians, I think, is only going to get better if we can uh, nip some of these things in the bud early on. Right, and, and basically educate the masses. Absolutely. Nice. Now, um, <clears throat> what made you choose the specific species that you're currently working with? The seven. Now, actually, let's back that up a little bit. What are the seven species that you're working with, and why did you choose those specific ones versus all the hundreds of other animals that are out there? Okay, well, of course, I work with leopard geckos, and that's right. what I started with. And uh-huh. then I work with um, African fat-tailed geckos. I also work with um, Native uh, American uh, uh, southwestern uh, banded geckos, Speaking which I just adore. And you are the one, in, well, as far as I know, the only breeder working with that species, because the Coleonyx, uh, Variegatus, and there's a uh, couple other ones that are out there, mm-hmm. too. And when I saw uh, your website for the first time, I was like, wait a minute, she's working with Coleonyx? Yes, I work with Where two Coleonyx species, right? <laughs> I was like, wow, right. that is so cool. Yeah, and then, um, and then of course, I work with, um, I used to work with four, but now I work with three, um, I work uh, Australian species. Okay. Which are the Nephurus, uh, all our Nephurus species, so the mm-hmm. Nephurus levis, Nephurus milli, and Nephurus wheeleri. Okay. Um, and I chose the animals that I work with because, first of all, they're all terrestrial animals. Okay. And second of all, um, I I don't have a big facility and a huge, you know, um, you know facility that has separate rooms with different environmental, you know, controls and things like that, so I chose the species that I work with based on the the, um, environment of the area that they're in, Mm -hmm. um, their relative uh, temperature requirements, uh, the humidity 
uh, here in the Bay Area runs between 45 and 60 percent all the time, which is just really nice. Right. Uh, so I have never worked with any of the arboreal uh, gecko species because of uh, either temperature and or humidity um, okay. requirements. Oh, okay. Not that I'm not interested, or if I was left to my own devices, I could, right. I could, go, I could go crazy. <laughs> but I am a one-woman operation, so... Yes, um, which is very so impressive, to, by the way. Oh, thanks. But, well, but it, 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 I'd have to work within what's realistic. Right, right. And now, just off the top of your head, do you know, um, rough guessment, do you know how many geckos you produce every year? Well, it depends. Um, I've cut down quite a bit. Um, my production is about 50% of what it used to be. Um, oh, okay. So all in all, with all species, I probably produce only between about 200 and 350 uh, geckos a year. O only, yeah. Okay. Only. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not, that's considered modest, actually. I mean, I'm certainly not a gecko mill, and I don't, you know, have, you know, you know 500 breeders. and Right, and that's one of know. the things that, you know, we talked about at the show was, you know, you were talking about, you know, only producing a certain amount of geckos a year, and I was just flabbergasted. I was like, well, you know, what do you consider, you know, a large amount? And then you started throwing out numbers of people, of, yeah. you know, yeah. numbers that other people were producing, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and you said, yeah, I'm not a gecko mill. I'm not. No, and, a lot you know, of people seem to think. Well, it's, it seem to think I'm a, I'm a big operation, and I'm really not. It's right. actually what I would consider a modest uh, collection. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I only have about fifty uh, right now. About fifty uh, leopard gecko breeders, and a small collection of um, uh, all the other species that I have. Meaning, like um, two point, you know, eight or three point right. twelve or. You know, so it, it's, uh, I have to work within my ability to care for them properly. Right. So that, that was the biggest thing, uh, again, referring back to the show when we were talking, that you are more concerned, well, I would have, to, you are more concerned about the gecko and, or, well, not even just the gecko, the animal and where it's going and how it's going to be treated versus how that customer feels about you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought you know, there's... Well, that, that's kind of, that sounds kind of extreme, but, um, you know, I, um, I have been fortunate enough in the last 15 years working, you know, being a, uh, breeding these animals mm -hmm. that um, I'm still around, number one. Uh, and number two, um, I don't, you won't find any complaints about my animals or my business uh, anywhere. Right. Uh, so that in and of itself tells me that I'm, you know, thinking in the right the right way, but I, I don't always subscribe to the customer is always right. True. Or the customer comes first. Right. My animal come first. Right. Period. Right. Exactly. If, no ifs, ands, or buts. Right. Um, now, granted, when somebody, you know, calls me or, or contacts me and orders a gecko from my website or it shows and people buy them and stuff, I can't sit and, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you interrogate a, you, people. Right, you can't do a two-hour interview, but, you know. No, and, and I did when I, the first, very first show I did, I, I think I passed up more sales than I made because I was interrogating the people. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it, it's it's uh, there's a fine line, and after a while, you you reach a, a moderate a moderate point where you realize that we don't have, or I should say, I don't have control, complete control right. over what happens to my animals after they leave here. Right. But my responsibility and my ethical uh, my ethical responsibility to not only the animals, my customers, and to the hobby itself is in, in education and, mm -hmm. and um, standing behind not only, you know, my animals, but my customer service and, and um, being accessible to people. I mean, when the sale's over, it, it, it's not over. Right, right. Um, hopefully, in many cases, that has developed into some really great relationships with people. And so um, you're not going to get that at a box store. Very definitely. Very definitely. You know, they make the sale, and their and whole yeah, their whole <laughs> idea is not to sell the animal; it's to upsell you, so you'll go and buy all the stuff that goes with it. Right. right. And that's not my goal. And so, um, so 
so yeah, that's, uh, um, you know, I don't always say that the customer's right or the customer comes first. The customer comes second because if my geckos did not come first, I wouldn't have a business and I wouldn't have any customers. Right, exactly. Now, speaking of customers and uh, interactions with other folks, I need, I, well, <laughs> yes, I do. I have to have you explain um, <laughs> how you... <laughs> How, How I got tagged with the uh, mogul? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. Because <laughs> that story's hilarious. I'm sorry. Did you? Oh, by the way, did you look up my website? Yes, I did. Uh, MeanOldGeckoLady.com. Yes, com? I did. <laughs> okay, that's a, of course that's a that's a you know that's a uh, farce, but it's yeah, fun. But it's it was fun. just a fun thing. Well, okay, it, it's uh, years and years and years ago. Um, of course, I was I've been very um, active on the forums. Uh huh. Uh, giving information, helping, and, and so forth. And there was a, a guy who uh, was just starting out and came on full guns like he was Mr. Expert, and that's fine. And he he would not take any any kind of he would ask for advice and then <laughs> and then argue with you about it, you know, or not take it. Mm-hmm. And it was. It, it, it was starting to annoy me um, somewhat, but um, I'm pretty thick-skinned. But anyway, we wound up online, and he, and it turned out that some misjudgment on his part cost the lives of several geckos, uh, a couple of which were geckos that he got from me. Ooh. And so I let him have it. And I don't do that very often. I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've done that, and then I always feel terrible afterwards. But <laughs> So he just, he came back at me, and he said, you're just going to be nothing. He says, you just wait. I'm going to take over all your business and all your customers and everything else, and you're going to be nothing but the mean old, just a mean old gecko lady. <laughs> and that diffused me instantly because I thought it was hysterical. Right. I thought, I okay, I'm a mean old gecko lady. <laughs> so everybody that was reading this thread that was going on, of course, weren't very happy with this guy. But but then they, everybody started razzing me about being the mean old gecko lady. Nice. And then that kind of went down to M O G L, the mogul. Right. <laughs> and it just has stuck for all these years. <laughs> So that was spawned out of me, you know, severely chastising somebody and him not appreciating my chest, my ch- being chastised and telling me I was a mean old gecko lady, <laughs> which I, which I proudly wore the banner. Yes, ma'am, you did. And there's a website, <laughs> MOGL.com. There you go. And I am not a mean old gecko lady. I'm really not. No, all. no, but, definitely. Uh, and that's why it was even funnier when because pe- people were giving me so much you know, razzing me so bad about it. But. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, because that is that is just, yeah, completely the opposite of everything that we ever heard yeah. about you and everything else, you know, so that's why well, it was it so funny. Well, really, it, it could have really made me mad, but I just I just thought that was funny. I just had to sit and crack up. Oh, God, yes. Definitely. Yeah, I thought it was great, and so I've been the mean old gecko lady, or the mogul, M-O-G-L, um, uh-huh. <laughs> for years now. That is awesome. <laughs> so I threw up, you know, this website that's the mean old gecko lady, mean old gecko lady dot com, um, for for just as a, I don't know, just as something to, something lighthearted, you know. Oh yeah, and it's definitely funny. Uh, yeah, definitely, listeners should definitely check that out because it is quite funny. And of course, all the links go back to your original website. Of course they do. It's shameless self promotion oh, for yeah. Pete's sake. But but yeah, that website is pretty funny. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> now, um, as far as the morphs and things of leopard geckos being produced, everybody seems to be trying to come out with the next best thing. And I want to know from the, you know, pretty much leopard gecko queen, what is, what are people looking for these days in leopard geckos? I mean, as far as breeders are concerned. You know, I've seen a huge rift in the last several years, um, between morph makers and the traditionalists, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, I, and it's a shame. It really is. But I think that, I think what spurned all of this is, um, of course, and I'm going to, is it okay if I drop names? Oh, sure. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Ron Tremper has always been, you know, on the leading edge of marketing and morphology. Oh, yeah. And people just salivate and wring their hands and just wait for whatever, you know, Ron's going to, you know, produce. Uh, produce and introduce at Daytona. Right. And, and things like that. He's, he, he's been around the longest, and I think he's probably had the most influence on all of us. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as leopard geckos go, um, mm-hmm. in history. Yeah. Uh, and so people started seeing the prize tags. Yeah. <laughs> on these new morphs. And going, <laughs> okay, so it was either, either oh, my God, i got to have it so I can produce these things and laugh all the way to the bank. Or, I, or it, it, and this is where the rift, I think, started. Or it was, gosh darn it, I, I, there's no way I can afford something like that. Right. Exactly. And so I think that um, it was a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. In some ways, um, where people were either or, there was there was not a whole lot of middle ground as far as you know morph making. Mm-hmm. Well, and then of course you know the um, the the uh, Bell uh, line of albinos came out, and right. they were um, I mean they were a big ticket item. Right. I mean they were anywhere from you know they were about twenty eight hundred dollars a piece when they were first introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people saw that and said, "Oh my gosh, um, what can I what can I do with this?" And then Mac, you know, the Max came out with their Snow and Super Snow line. Right, right. And then, then there, of course, the you know the uh, um, the Enigma, I think, was the last uh, big morph. Uh, and what I mean by morph is that the they were in and of themselves a a, a, a genetic morph. Right. And so then the morph making started, mm-hmm. and that's when genetics, the genetics of these animals really started becoming um, evident. Right. And I think it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'm 56 years old. I went to school. We didn't, ha- we didn't, we didn't have genetics when I went to school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We knew if you went to biology, you knew that a blue flower eventually became a white flower, you know, or whatever, right. and, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I think that there's a big difference in, you know, a new, a new bona fide genetic morph versus combination morphs ah. that are coming out. Because, and then, of course, people started naming their combination morphs something new, okay, you know, and... and and then breeder A called his version of it this, and breeder B called their version of it that, and then right. there became a whole bunch of confusion. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that that's what started um, some of the rift in the community was the, the people that were, you know, doing everything, putting, I mean, just literally putting things together to see what they could come up with in hopes of, you know, producing the next new morph mm-hmm. so they could be, you know, in, in their minds, millionaires. Right, right. And then the people who want to work with these animals just for the sheer just enjoyment because, and beauty of them. Right, exactly. Yeah, because I know I was talking to um, a couple people, uh, I think yourself included, they're actually breeding Afghanicus, which yeah. is one of the, you know, it, basically it's the originator of the leopard geckos. Well, it's one of them. Or one of them, sorry. And, yeah. You know, and I was like, Wow. People are yeah, because I still work with, with this yes, I work with Afghanicus, and I work with um, um, I work with the um, uh, oh gosh, um, I just have a my just brain just went kaput here. <laughs> you know, I work with two subspecies, right? And um, of course, I had to bring them in from Europe. Yeah, because you can't right. And but because we can't get them in here, right? And uh, ever since um, uh, you know, ever since the late 70s and early 80s when there was so much turmoil going on in the Middle East. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, the only people or, or whatever that have been able to get go in there and do any field research on these pure, um, you know, subs, if it, let's, let's just call them subspecies and or localities. Right, no. Exactly. Um, has been limited to just the Russians. Oh. So, um, you know, everything has just come to a complete halt. Right, 
as far as studying them in the wild and, and, and the um, taxonomy on these guys is still, I mean, the, um, you know, the jury's not in yet on whether they are true subspecies or species in and of themselves or just simply a locality. Right. Uh, and so we just don't know. Right, right. Yeah, because... So I, the fasciolatus, for example, I work with the fasciolatus, that's what I was looking for, right. in Afghanicus, uh, which um, it, it looks so far that the Afghanicus is, at this point, is considered a subspecies where the fasciolatus is a, uh, a locality. locality. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there's montanus, there's... Uh, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's several different, um, you know, um, subspecies or localities mm-hmm. out there. Right. But most of what we have here in the U.S. and in Europe um, are all mutts. Yeah, exactly. No one knows where it came from. No, they're what, they're what all bred with. Or... Exactly. Yeah. They're just they're just mutts. And so, because of my fascination with the origins of these animals and, and things like that, I, I chose to work with um, work with a couple of the subspecies, mm-hmm. um, and a little, do a little dabbling and crossing them, and then uh, and, and mostly just keeping them pure. Right. Now, what are your thoughts on crossbreeding? Okay. Could you be more specific about crossbreeding? As far as um, like taking. Um, subspecies and breeding them together and, you know, trying to come up with something new that doesn't, you know, that doesn't occur in the wild, basically. Not necessarily a more... Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, well, yeah. Well, we don't know for sure if... Well, like I said, this backtracks to what I was talking about earlier, is that right. we, since we can't get out there to the Middle East and do field studies, mm-hmm. um, we were relying on a lot of the stuff... Uh, you know, from the uh, from the '60s and '70s, and wet collections, mm-hmm. um, and photographs, and and scientific uh, taxonomy reports, and whatnot from different universities, mm-hmm. um, where they do you know they do sublabial scale counts and digit structure oh, and God. and you oh, know you know all the yeah there you go and stuff which is overwhelming to most people yeah I'm one of but them. <laughs> until we can really truly determine mm-hmm. if they are a true subspecies or if they are simply a locality Quality. right um, I don't see a problem with it now this to me is in my mind is not uh, you know it, it's not making hybrids R- okay yeah that's what okay Right. Is that what you were... Right, hybrids. Where That's you were going? I, right. Okay, yeah. No, they're all Eublepharus macularius. I mean, right. um, and but the thing is that um, in the wild, mm-hmm. you're not apt to find any naturally occurring albino. Right. Not that it doesn't happen. Right, it's just very rare. It's very rare, and of course they're very uh, they're sensitive to light. They're uh, they would probably be a weaker, mm-hmm. uh, less robust genetically, and either uh, not adapt well or fall prey, you know, fall to prey or right. whatever. So I think that until we can get out there and really do some research, um, it's hard to say. Exactly. Um, now. On the flip side of that, mm-hmm. and I'm taking a neutral stance here, not oh, and deliberately sure. not answering your question no, about, my, about my opinion on it, <laughs> because I really don't have one, is that um, I don't think we're doing anything uh, with these with these geckos, especially with the line breeding uh, that we do, and I'm and that's not mm-hmm. to be confused with inbreeding. Right. Selective breeding, uh, line breeding, is different than inbreeding, line breeding. Right, right. Um, in other words, we produce bright red, orange geckos because it's a naturally occurring color, uh, it, uh, you know, pigment in their skin. Right. Okay, and same goes for pattern or lack of pattern or, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things. We're not really doing anything that is not naturally occurring. Right. Uh, within the, the, the animal itself. Now, you mentioned, um, sorry to interrupt you, but you mentioned Ron Tremper earlier. Have you been to his website lately? 
No, you know, I haven't. Okay. It, it just, uh, no, I haven't. What's okay. going on? Well, I, and it's probably not new. It's just I don't have enough time in the day to go and visit everybody that I like's website. I don't either. That's why <laughs> I haven't exactly. been there. <laughs> there's a, well, uh, there's a leopard gecko on there that has literally a blue spot. And he's, on the website it says that he is trying to create the blue leopard gecko. Yeah, he's been working on that for a long time. Okay, see, that's, like I said, I haven't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, well, what is okay, your... the, here's the thing. Um, all right. Um, I don't know. I've okay. seen uh, a lot of, uh, the same with the Emmerines, for example, these beautiful, you know, they have a lot of green right. okay. uh, in them and stuff. But but here's, here's what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And this is just my theory, and I'm not in any way uh, discrediting anyone. Oh, no, not at all. I think that if, if there's something that's worth checking into and investigating, by all means, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think that we need to take a look at what's motivating us. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, and I'm not going to go elaborate yep, on that. Fair enough. Nope. However, <laughs> now let's, look at, let's just look at a basic color wheel. Yeah. Okay, we got primary colors of red, blue, and yellow. Uh-huh. Then we have secondary colors of red and blue combined making green. Green, right. Uh, blue and um, red combined making lavender right. or violet. Uh-huh. And yellow and red combined making orange. Right. Now, if you look at leopard geckos, uh, lavender is a big, a big uh <laughs> color now people are really looking for and the funny right. thing is that we used to produce them you know t 12 14 years ago right and then they kind of went away yeah and now lavender is a very desired color right but is it truly lavender so if you look at the basic color of the gecko oh. okay if you look at the basic color of the gecko which is probably you know going to be of course the we're looking at xanthism right and, and which is you know which is the the oranges and the yellows, mm -hmm. okay, and then you have a black band on them that fades as the gecko grows, Right. and this black pigment starts fading, and it's a layer over another color, it's going to appear Lavender. To, to be, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> so that's my Very theory. interesting. That's just my theory. Huh. Now, as far as blue, um, I, uh, a lot of people say, oh, blue is not, a, not a, a natural color for a leopard gecko. But if you look at every single baby that's born, they've got blue eyelids. You know what? I never even... <laughs> You're exactly right. They look like, uh, oh, what's her name on, uh, 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 what was that one show, Jim Carrey show? With, you know, what's her name? And that with, had that big blue eye shadow or oh. whatever. <laughs> Mimi, was that Mimi. her name? Yeah, Mimi, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they do. You know, they yeah. totally do. It's Mimi. They have blue eyeshadow. Oh, my gosh. I never so realized I'm not, that. Not, so, and, they're, and they come out of the egg like that, okay? Yeah, yeah they so do. So I'm not, you know, so for some people say blue is not a natural color for a leopard gecko, I, I disagree. You're exactly right. How amazing. I never even realized that until you just said that. But this is just my own theory, okay? It doesn't right. mean that it's carved in stone and everybody needs to believe it or that I'm, you know, getting in anybody's face that, you know, believes differently. It's just that, no. you know, when you, when, you look at, when you look at red, you know, and blue together, it makes lavender. And, right. and so when, when a black band is fading and, and it has the absence of one color, it's going to give the appearance of, you know, having a secondary color. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's understandable. I, I can grasp that. Yeah. Now, um, as far as uh, your next show coming up here, what, uh, when can our listeners run out and clean you out of all your geckos? Well, <laughs> I wish they'd come and clean me out of my geckos now, but... Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't... Um, I usually only do local shows, meaning California shows, okay. because I am, I am disabled, and it's hard for me to, you know... Uh, vend at these shows. However, um, I'm thinking about the Las Vegas show coming up in May. Ooh, that was a good show. I've never vended out there, and so it's a consideration. Okay. Um, generally speaking, May, I don't have anything. Okay. Uh, 
you know, I don't start having really, you know, um, I, I tend to hang on to my geckos a little longer uh, than most people do. Right. Um, but uh, um, I still have a lot of uh, 2010 stock left. Okay. And uh, depending on how that goes, I may or may not, you know, bend out there. And I believe that shows in May. I don't have the exact date. Yeah, I think it's in May as well. Mm-hmm. Now, are you coming down to the January show in Pomona? Pomona? Uh-huh. That's that's something I'm looking at again too. Okay. Um, you know, because I do, I you know, the, I have to think about number one, my health. Um, oh sure. And, and it's a you know, some of these shows are about a seven hour drive for me. And oh yeah, definitely. Um, all the setup, standing on my feet for two days, and all that, and right. the cost. Oh um, yeah. So I have to make it. Yeah, these you know, show, these shows for vendors can get real pricey oh, yeah. real quick. <laughs> yeah, they they can. So I have to weigh the. Um, you know the, you know what I what I what I feature in my mind of you know what is an acceptable cost show effective. as far as sales go sure. versus you know the cost as well as the the uh, the cost on my health. Um, right, exactly. So it's hard for me to commit, um, okay. but I, I think it's it's probably pretty feasible that January I'll be down there. Okay, very good. Now, um, just for those listeners, because we do have international listeners. You do have a website where you can order and do the, all the shipping and what have you directly from your website, and that yep. is GoldenGateGeckos.com. Yes, it is GoldenGateGeckos.com. There we go. Okay. I am able um, to um, export. I, I I I do not have an export uh, a permit, um, but I do have access to uh, an export per- permit through Packerp. Oh, okay. uh, to get animals to Europe, of course, I've sent many animals to for del- for delivery or, or mm-hmm. pre-sold animals for pickup at the ham shows. Oh, okay. So yeah, there there's there's an option there, and okay. um, um, we're just now exploring, you know, some of the Asian markets. Um, okay. And uh, so yeah, that's uh, it's doable. Now, what is um, and this is kind of off topic. What is the deal with Australia? Can they? Can they import things, or is it just they can't export anything? I don't understand all the shipping. Well, I don't really either, because you know, quite frankly, it 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 uh, it, it it's it's a it's dependent from territory to territory. You know, it, it they have different rules and regulations within cities and oh, I see. Uh, territory. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Okay. Um, Australia is very very. Um, how could I say it? They are. Very, very protective right. uh, of their natural uh, resources. Resources, right? And their animals are one of a kind. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't see kangaroos, and you know, you know, you don't see these animals anywhere just because of the way that the the globe has evolved, right. and they've been landlocked for so long that these right. animals have evolved on their own, which is really remarkable. And I. I really have to hand it to Australia that they're doing everything that they possibly can to conserve right, right. these these uh, natural animal the resources, um, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably most of what we have here in the U.S. Uh, as far as Australian species go um, came about when, before implemented for right. exportation. Exactly. Uh, I think that there are. There are cases on certain species where you can get permits through the Australian government to go in and collect, um, and they're very picky about um, who does that. Oh, sure. but, but I also know that the, the vast majority of Australian citizens themselves can't even uh, yeah. eat uh, a lot of the species that are natural uh, to their, um, you know, to their continent. Right. Right, that's what I've heard as well. That's why I was kind of asking, because I know, you know, it's like everywhere else, you know, we can ship reptiles to, but Australia. So, <laughs> so I was like, what's the deal with well, that? Well, and, and you know, it's kind of like Hawaii, for example. If you move to Hawaii, you oh, have to put right, your Hawaii. dog and cat in quarantine in for quarantine. 90 days, you right. know? I mean, uh, they don't want any, uh, they don't, not only are they protecting their species by, by you know, not over-propagating them and exporting them, but mm-hmm. they also don't want an influx of, you know, non-native species mm-hmm. that are that are going to ruin their ecosystem. Right, right. 
So um, that's my that's about as uh, much as I know okay. um, about going on. And um, you know, there's still a lot of uh, rough ruffled feathers over some of the you know some of the species, that, the Australian species that we have here in the United States being you know, um, descendants of smuggled animals, right. and I don't have an opinion, I don't know. Yeah, I don't have an opinion on that one either way either. I, I, don't, I don't like to think that we're all, you know, lumped into one category of right. people who, you know, condone illegal smuggling and, and the, the rampant, uh, you know, um, disintegration of, you know, species of, of, of animals. right, exactly. Right. Right, so I don't know that that's a fair statement. Yeah, I don't think I don't. I personally don't think it is. That yeah, like that one guy, I guess, or whatever, that got busted coming out of Australia and he had a oh uh, dear uh, lord, Get what was it? He had, he had a, a prosthetic <laughs> leg or something that was stuffed full of. Oh know. yeah, okay. There was another one too that had a bunch of geckos in his underwear. Yeah, he, they were tied onto him yeah. in his bags. And yeah, stuff. That, yeah, that was awesome. That was yeah, yeah. that was good. Stuff. Well, I'm sorry, those people need to be prosecuted. Oh yeah, they do totally. And we have a responsibility here in the United States to not do business with people who with who people do that. who do that. Exactly. Or, or even if there's a question in your mind about these importers and the, where they're getting these animals, uh, I I really think they need to be boycotted. But yeah, I'm pre- but I'm pretty radical about that feeling. You know, no, I, I I'm totally you know every. Well, at least every show that I've ever gone to, everybody says the same thing to any new br- any yeah. new person buy captive bread. Don't buy stuff that's imported. There are enough breeders here in the United States that are, are deeply committed to their their, their collections and the, yeah. and the responsible propagation of them that we do not really need to go out and spend money to import no. all this stuff. Right, right. Uh, we just don't. Um, and so, um, granted, we need good bloodlines, of course, and I've, I've you know, I'm maybe I'm a hypocrite because I've imported um, um, the uh, Fasciolatus and the, uh, and the uh, Afghanicus, but they are not wild-caught. They are descendants of wild-caught. Right, right. Um, and then, of course, we have a lot of fat tails that come in from Africa that are wild-caught, and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, and you know, the thing I, that, I have... The thing that was wild-caught with me, it's like, you know, you're taking such a risk because the thing could be so infested with parasites. You introduce that into your collection, you wipe out your whole collection, you know, I mean, there's just too yeah. many risks involved. Well, that is a huge risk, but, but it goes farther than that, John, and that is that, you know, the, the way that these animals are collected oh. and shipped are, yeah, are I, appalling. Yeah, I don't even want to get started on that. I don't either. And, <laughs> okay, and, then, and then, of course, we take, you know, a, a perfectly healthy gecko from the wild or, or anything from the wild, and we subject it to the stress of captive, you know, uh, husbandry. Right. And even if they do have a, a, a parasite load that is perfectly maintainable and, you know, in their natural habitat. Symbiotic almost, yeah. Exactly. One, exactly. Mm-hmm. Once they're, uh, you, you hit the nail right on the head, once that their stress levels go up, Right. and stuff, then their metabolism doesn't work properly, their immune system starts screwing up, and then and that just prop, you know, that just fosters the um, the chances of these, you know, um, parasitic infections becoming uh, clinical. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, maybe they come in on a subclinical level, mm-hmm. but once they're, once they're subjected captive, you know, uh, it just, it just grows out of control, and, and it's just cruel, and, and, it's just cruel. Yeah, definitely. Now, before I let you go, there's one more question that we sure. always ask all of our uh, guests on the show. What is, if you're not already keeping it, what would be the ultimate species of reptile that you would keep if money was no object and if, you know, there was no ifs, ands, or buts, you could just keep whatever you wanted, what would okay. that be? Um, I really, really am fascinated with the New Zealand geckos, the Nultinus species. Ooh, nice. And if it were possible to have something like that in my collection, uh, and money was no object, and it wasn't illegal to export them or import them or right. whatever, <laughs> right. I would exactly. I would work I would work with those in a heartbeat. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, they are amazing. Very cool. Just amazing. But I like looking at people's pictures of them in the wild. Exactly. 
Exactly. And Bill Love has quite a collection of uh, Absolutely. <laughs> of yes, he sure does. Uh, you know, there's quite a few people that go out just for the just just to go and, and investigate these species and study and just, them and, and, just and hang take out pictures and watch. of them. Yeah. And, yeah, and I I spend a lot of time um, some people might consider it wasted time, I don't. Um, just just it, just admiring the um, the just the in, intrinsic beauty. Oh yeah. Of all these creatures, you oh, know. Oh yeah, definitely. And I'm very jealous that people, you know, ha- have the wherewithal and financial means or whatever to get out there and rough it to to seek them out and, and study them and take pictures of them. So. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I'm very jealous. We need to go to Madagascar together or something. I've you been, know? A, you know, that has been pro- uh, proposed to me on a few occasions to go to Madagascar, and uh, you know. I think that's something I'd like to do. <laughs> See, I think you just need to make it happen, Marsha. We need to get our listeners on your website. I think we need to get a big old, and yeah. Just, and buy every single gecko that you can. <laughs> so many amazingly beautiful, gentle creatures that, uh, yeah. you know, it's just awesome. Yes, it is, definitely. Yeah, I'm in awe when oh, I yeah. think of it. Yeah, every time um, I go to the reptile show and I see all these different uh, creatures that, you know, yeah. oh my gosh, it's just like, oh my gosh, can I just like, is. buy every single one and take care of it and do nothing with the rest of my life but sit here and hang out with reptiles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> much happier. It would be easy, easy, easy for me to fall into that trap, but uh, to, be, to be fair to myself and to the animals that I love and care for, I have to really, you know, I have to really pull in the ring. Uh, well, Marsha, I know you're a uh, busy lady because you got uh, things to do this evening, but I really appreciate you talking to us. Oh, and, John, it uh, was great talking to you, and I just felt oh, like yeah. I've known you forever. And uh, I think we have. I think we really yeah, have. <laughs> I think we probably have. So it, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and the listeners and, oh, yeah. and just share a little bit about, and it's just the tip of the iceberg, a little bit about the mean old gecko lady here and Definitely. And what and I think about and what I love and, and what I do. Now, so what I'd like I to do it. is ask you to come on again at another time when you might have a moment, because I've heard stories of some type of super slurry that can, like, heal any gecko of any... any well, <laughs> yes. Um, well, I don't think it's... it's Contrary to what people might think, it won't <laughs> heal anything, but it is a life-saving sustenance for geckos who are off food and... Uh, and uh, we can talk about uh, about how I came up with the slurry yeah. and what I was one of the things that I went through, which is very very tragic, um, uh-huh. and um, almost almost made me turn my back on this whole you know hobby. Um, oh, wow. It was that devastating. Um, it wasn't a parasite or anything like that, but right. uh, how I came up with the slurry, and now that um, UC Davis um, University of Guelph, uh, Ontario, Canada. Texas A&M and my own veterinarian and other vets across the country are uh, recommending this slurry mm-hmm. um, as a, a life-sustaining. Uh, it's just amazing the, wow. the input I get. So it, it, we could take some time on that, and I won't take up any more of your time either. But definitely, uh, definitely. I'd love so to come back and talk about that. Oh yeah, definitely. We will definitely have you back on. And okay. what, one more time is Golden www.goldengategeckos. Dot com. Awesome. And if you want to have a laugh, <laughs> you can go to www.meanoldgeckolady.com. Dot com. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's just shameless self-promotion for Golden Gate geckos. Oh, but, but it's but hilarious. It's still funny. <laughs> Thanks again, Marsha, <laughs> so much. John, and it's been a real pleasure. I'd, I'd just, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> okay, girl. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, so there you have it. That was Marsha McGinnis from GoldenGateGeckos.com. Not sure really what happened there with the little bit of the popping and hissing on uh, on our recording on that uh, particular interview. Um, obviously some technical difficulties, and I do apologize for that to both Marsha and the listeners. Uh, cleaned it up as much as possible, but there was some pretty important stuff in there that I didn't really want to cut out, and you could actually hear you know through the popping and hissing. Uh, regardless of all that, once again, we do appreciate Marsha's time. Do check her out at any show you get to. Make sure you look her up, see if she's going to be there. I'm sure she posts the show dates on her website. Once again, that's goldengategeckos.com. Or you can go to the meanoldgeckolady.com or mogl.com. And once again, leave some comments on the blog. Check us out on iTunes. 
give us some comments, give us some ratings on the iTunes, as well as our uh, reptileapartment.podomatic.com. And don't forget to tune in next week when we interview Scott Powley of Powley Exotics, and he talks to us about the green tree pythons, what it's like to keep them in captivity, what it's like to breed them, and everything that goes along with keeping the green tree pythons. Really exciting species, not as hard as most people may think it is to take care of. So tune in next week with Scott Powley from Powley Exotics. Thanks for tuning in to reptileapartment.com's The Reptile Living Room. Mm-hmm.